0: I am Chante Jovon Taylor, and you are having coffee with the neuroscientists. We have Dr. Rael Sims and myself on. Welcome, welcome. Make sure you grab your coffee, grab your tea, or something to wet your whistle. <laughs> and a pen to take notes, because you're going to want to take some notes, some diligent notes on what we are going to discuss with you today. Five brain-immersive tactics that you must know, that you must understand and do intentionally and consistently to become the advanced thought leader in the 21st century as leaders, as coaches, as parents, as, as people of influence. Okay, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Ready? This is the Mind of Future Thought Leaders. I am your host. Your trainer today, Shante Javon Taylor, Neuroscientist and Success Trainer, and we also have Dr. Riel Sims, Neuropsychologist and Relationship Coach. We are both leaders in our industries, in mean, organizations, we've worked in various fields, the health field, but now we bring this information to people all over the world. The five brain immersive strategies that you must know uh, to really propel yourself as leaders in the 21st century. And everything we discuss, it's always from the lens of the mind and brain. We honor the knowledge and wisdom that you already bring to the table. We already are are aware that you are thought leaders, okay, that you are leading, already leading in your industries. And that's why you're here. What we wanna do is give you a, a more deeper understanding of all of these principles that you are familiar with and take, take you 12 layers deeper into the mind and the brain so that you can get a broader perspective and a deeper perspective on how you can take your leadership to the next level. I am Chante Javon Taylor, neuroscientist and success trainer. And when I started this journey, uh, what I wanted to be when I grew up was a neuropsychiatrist. I wanted to work with people who had mental disorders, mental deficits, and I ended up gaining degrees in neuroscience and neurobiology, doing my thesis on brain injuries, and did clinical trials on people with dementia. And I worked for a huge study with the government called the Mind Study, which focused on brain injuries and PTSD in our veterans, Afghanistan and Iraqi veterans. And what I learned about myself in um, doing that dynamic work um, for over 15 years, I realized that it didn't really empower me. It, It wasn't what I wanted to use neuroscience for. Even though I knew the work was important, I was more geared toward or more inclined to share with people what was going right with their brains how they can strengthen their brains, how they can use their brains and shape it to get to the next level of their potential. So I like doing that part more than spending eight to 10 hours a day telling people what was wrong with their brains. And if you know anything about what's called neuroplasticity or the brain's ability to shape itself with experiences, you know that anything you put your focus and attention to for long periods of time, that's what you become a master at. And so essentially, I was becoming a master at finding what was wrong with people, right? Because our personal life and our professional life interact with each other, right? So I wanted to reshape my mind and reshape my career, essentially, into sharing with people what is Right with their brain. So, people with a normal level of uh, mental abilities and people who are ambitious, people who want to get to the next level of their potential, people who want to be more productive, creative, innovative, I wanted them to help to get to that level using various knowledge of neuroscience and strategies and basic human activities to get them to that next level of their mental p- potential, which in effect, would reshape their personal and professional lives. So that's why I'm here today with you all as leaders and coaches and professionals. My co-host is Dr. Rael Sims, neuropsychologist and relationship expert. Rael, can you tell our attendees a little bit about yourself.
1: Uh, Yes, I'm a neuropsychologist, a body language expert, relationship coach, marriage and family facilitator, uh, counselor. I work as a consultant for people who are doing films, and I add the science in their films as to why we do what we do from an eco-bio, and spiritual point of view. I'm also a speaker. I speak all over the world about the neuroscience of relationships, uh, husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, fiance, uh, also for employer, employee uh, in, engagement. And I started off uh, working in the music industry, which led me to do all the things that I was doing because I was always in the music industry talking about the neuroscience and about relationships. Decided to go back to school and to get psychology degrees and then that wasn't enough. Uh, decided to go back to get some uh, neuroscience into my uh, degrees.
0: Thank you, yes. It almost seems like neuroscience is a calling, right? Yes. Either you're fascinated by the brain and its potential or not, you know? (laughs) So I get a lot of people who hear the term neuroscience and they're like, wow, you study the brain? And um, they really are excited about, especially now, this is the era of the brain. We know so much more about it in the last 20 years than in the last 1000 years. So it's a very exciting time to learn about the brain people. We are the founders of the Optimine Institute. It's an institute that trains the future thought leaders, the advanced coaches on the knowledge of neuroscience, how to infuse and incorporate neuroscience in everything you do. Neuroscience is a 360 degree science because the brain is essentially the control center of everything we do and everything we don't do. So our mission as the OptiMind Institute, is to empower 100 million people to use their minds and brains better uh, so that they can operate at their highest level of potential in their personal, professional, and businesses. So that's what we do. We certify and train leaders, coaches, and whoever wants to be able to be advanced in their particular fields. We train them to do so and we also do our own research so that we can be contributors to applied neuroscience, okay? So there's different arms of neuroscience. Some neuroscience, uh, you don't really know how to apply it to everyday life, but we make it a point to bring that hard science, that hard neuroscience, and be able to simplify it and see the connection in our everyday personal and professional life. We are determined to build the minds of the future We don't want this neuroscience to just be sitting in some obscure scientific journal that 99.99% of the planet won't read or have access to. So what we do is we simplify the knowledge in such a way that is applicable to everyday people in everyday professions, uh, particularly people who think of themselves as leaders, thought leaders. Because those are the people who will lead more people to this information. What is a thought leader? A thought leader is someone who is very informed, okay? They are very opinionated, okay? Sometimes being opinionated works against you in some realms, right? But a thought leader has to have an informed opinion about what they have a vision on, what their niche is about, okay? They are the go-to people. Journalists seek them out. People seek them out to big at conferences because their way of thinking is different from the norm, different from the status quo. They are the outliers when it comes to thinking about an industry differently or the way we can rethink how we do things, systems. They are innovative thinkers. They have a following. You probably will see them On social media I'm having a pretty big following they disrupt the status quo they just they're disruptors of systems and thinking okay they're able to see trends and patterns before anyone else so they're they're really able to tap into that intuitive side of them and their confidence In promoting that abnormal thinking, that disruptive thinking, being a thought leader also requires though, when you have this following, that means people trust your insight. People trust how you think about things and that the information that you have is credible. Okay. So you have to be credible to be a thought leader and being a thought leader is different than being a leader. Okay. So a leader has just followers. And they pretty much go with the status quo and they want to motivate their followers to do what they need to do in the organization. Right. You're a leader in your household. You want your kids to do what they're going to do in your household. Right. But thought leaders produce other thought leaders. Okay, Can anyone be a thought leader? You have to be willing to uh, take on some characteristics in order to be a thought leader. You're going to have to have thick skin because when you are a disruptor of thought, when you are a disruptor of the status quo of the system, how things have always been done in organizations, you know, it's hard to change or the culture in organizations, right? It's hard to change employees' ideas when they've been used to doing a certain system or a way of doing um, a certain thing for decades, right? But a thought leader is going to disrupt that system. They're going to get some flack about it, right? They're, they're going to get some criticism. They're going to get some pushback. And you have to be confident. Your brain has to be wired to be resilient so that what's called your amygdala doesn't feel threatened. (laughs) You know, you don't feel personally insulted. The amygdala is that deep part of the brain shaped like an almond um, in the center of your brain that responds to threats and fear. And it can be triggered by modern activities, modern influences, situations. So when you have an idea, and you're not afraid to put it out there, and you're challenged or criticized for it, as a thought leader, you won't be as affected as someone who is not a thought leader, because you've developed a thought leadership mindset, your brain is wired to be resilient in that way okay you also as a thought leader you're not looking just for a following you set up a blueprint for other people to be able to think out of the box so you create systems and programs and trainings and get people to start thinking on another level that you are thinking on so you're like passing the mental torch because you see the uh, the advantage uh, more people being able to think on this greater level. So, as a thought leader, you're also willing to go mentally where others aren't willing to go. Not everybody is interested in learning about their brain. Not everybody is interested about how they can become a better thought leader. But thought leaders are willing to go places and do things and read things and learn things to expand their thought leadership, so that they can have access. To insights and ideas that leaders or regular people won't have access to. So the brain thrives on going places mentally, learning out of the norm ideas and information so the brain can have access thought leaders who created Google. Right, they were at Stanford. They were at the in a PhD program, and they disrupted the industry of information. Right, where we were used to getting information from libraries, you know, books and each other. But they said, "What if we took all of the tangible ideas of and information and put them in the airwaves that the whole planet can have access to?" What kind of response do you think they got from their professors? <laughs> it wasn't really good, right? So they got a lot of criticism. They were told they were crazy, okay? They they dropped out of their PhD programs, and they pursued what is now the most utilized platform on the planet. We can't really recall living without having access to Google. They have the monopoly on the search engine, right? But they were able to put tangible information into the airwaves and now they're not so crazy. They are the thought leaders of their industry. They disrupted the information age, okay? that's Those are thought leaders. That's an example of a thought leader, all right? So neuroscience, understanding the brain um, is a way for me personally and Dr. Rael to disrupt the industry of leadership, take it to another level of understanding. And you also know thought leader of LinkedIn, right? Jeff Weiner, he's a CEO. And Oprah called him a compassionate leader. He says, compassionate leadership, it begins with the connections between people and companies are comprised of people. Okay. So we understand that the brain has regions dedicated for compassion and empathy, and we can develop those areas. So if we want to be a compassionate leader, we need to learn how to develop and adapt our brains to be more compassionate and empathetic, it's very doable, but you gotta understand the brain, right? So why is neuroscience the future of thought leadership? Neuroscience is the fastest growing area of interest in modern times. Neuroscience is an emerging field within organizations, leadership, and coaching. Basically, neuroscience is allowing us to explore the processes within the brain that influences our human decisions, our behaviors and our interactions in the workplace and in our personal lives and in our businesses. So when we understand the neural basis of these essential human behaviors, we can be more effective as leaders and coaches within our institutions, within our organizations, within our homes and within our businesses. So. We truly believe that neuroscience is the last human frontier when it comes to understanding our bodies. And so it truly is the organ, this advanced technology that's going to take us to the the next level of our human evolution, not evolving another arm or another third eye. (laughs) It is how we use the brain better, more optimally, to fuel our future, to solve the world's problems, to create solutions better, to be more creative um, in moving forward and being more mindful of how we use technology and how we create in this world and really determine the consequences and determine if they are pro-humanity or against humanity. So keep in mind five parameters that we're going to be focusing on today. I really want you to have it drilled in your mind because we're going to be talking about a few things and I don't want your mind to get lost in the, the details. And so one thing I always we always do in our trainings and in our uh, conferences is we want to optimize your learning too. So we are all things brain. And so we don't want to learn a bunch of facts and then you kind of move on. We actually want you to learn as you are going through this. So um, that's why I'm gonna keep these five parameters at the forefront of your mind so you can continue to make the connections. So the first of the five parameters that will allow your brain to be immersed in to allow you to go to the next level of your leadership is of course, you actually have to learn about the brain. (laughs) That's why I'm gonna start with it. In order to be an advanced leader, In the 21st century, you have to learn about your brain. Why the brain? The brain is the control center of everything we do and everything we don't do, okay? So all those habits that we have, (laughs) all those uh, thoughts that we have, the brain is the center. Yes, we may get external uh, stimulation or internal stimulation to activate the brain. But the brain, everything has to go through the brain except for reflexes. You know, like when a doctor hits your knee and then it automatically um, flexes, hopefully. Um, Everything outside of uh, reflexes needs to be processed in the brain. And so we don't really think about that in terms of thoughts and decision-making and how we relate to other people. Stephen Hawking gave a good analogy. He said, we are all connected by the internet, like neurons in a giant brain. And even though he was talking about the internet here, he was so correct that we are all connected in this world, whether we want to think about it or not. We were made to survive together. We affect each other. So you know how we show up at work could affect positively or negatively how someone else shows up and thrives and is productive and creative in their work. And even though we shouldn't have allow people to have that power over our emotions, the brain is going to still be affected, whether it's subconsciously or on a conscious level. Uh, when people feel disenfranchised, when they when they feel like they're being heard, you know, these are having different effects on the brain. So we need to be mindful of. How we show up in the world, because we are essentially changing people's brains in how we show up and we're changing our own brains and the environments we put ourselves in and who we associate ourselves with. So let's talk about your brain because it's beautiful. It's a beautiful universe. You have 100 billion brain cells. Each brain cell is able to connect to one to 10,000 other brain cells. That means you have trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of connections. You have enough wiring in your brain to stretch from where you're currently sitting all the way to the sun. That's 90 million miles of wiring in your skull. Okay, so you got a lot of tracks there to work with. And when one brain cell talks to another, it is called an action potential. So you have trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of potential in your brain. And there's this myth that people often say, you know, we only use 10% of our brains, right, Dr. Ryo? We this a lot.
1: Yes, absolutely. We use more. I mean, that really is a myth. And we've been hearing that for years that we only use 10% of our brain, but we actually use all of our brain. But the problem is, is that it's only 10% of what we know about the brain, because what we know about the brain is is nothing compared to what we can and what we will learn, because there's so much more to learn about the brain, right?
0: That's correct, because we had brain imaging. So now we've been able to, as neuroscientists, as physicists, as biologists, as psychologists, we're able to peer inside the brain in, in real time when people are thinking, when they're making decisions, when they're about to make a decision, the brain does work and is active in parts of the brain. The, the ap- uh, watching images, watching people go through actions, like if I'm watching Dr. Rael pick up a cup my mirror neurons are going to activate as if I'm picking up up that cut. That's why I say we are all connected because even though we don't want people to have power over us, even though we may not think someone is influencing us, our brains are still reacting. And how our perceptions are shaped, how our mental pathways are shaped, determines how we're going to feel about that moment or about that person or about that situation. So it's very important to understand how our brains are operating so that we are operating from the higher place in our brains, the most advanced parts of our brain, and know when we are not operating from the advanced parts of our brain so that we can um, modify our thinking and behaviors in real time intentionally or modify it before certain situations can get to us or cause us to think and behave a certain way. So there's so much more we know um, about the brain, but we have so much further to go. So you are absolutely right. We only understand 10% of our brain, but if you look in an MRI and we are talking as we are doing right now, there's multiple areas of our brain that's lighting up at the same time. So our brains are very active, okay? And think about history a little bit, right? Man who came up with that 10% myth, it was at a time, what? 60, 70 years ago was at a time, know much about the brain, right? They didn't have brain imaging techniques. They can only really study the brain when someone was deceased. So they were lacking in advanced technology to understand the brain. But now we have advanced technology that gives us new ideas, new facts, new truths, new concepts and theories about the brain. So if our Technology advances, that means we have to also, as humans, update our own knowledge of the brain so that we can use it more effectively. All right. So, since the brain is the control center of everything that we do, it's going to affect our memories. It's going to ex- affect our speed of thought and our attention span, our focus, our ability to make less mistakes in a period of time, our degree of which we are flexible in thought and imaginative, because In the 21st century, we haven't even created most of the jobs that will be needed in the future, you know, because we're we're still kind of stuck on these old, outdated problems that should be solved by now, you know, poverty, environmental issues. I mean, these problems have been around for thousands of years, and we can't keep creating technology without understanding the ramifications of that technology. So we have to learn to be more creative and more flexible. And we have to also train our workforce, give ideas to our clients so that they can be more flexible and creative to help contribute to what we need in the future to evolve as humans and to enhance our humanity. So the brain is the most underutilized and the least understood by most Human beings on the planet. But with this new field of neuroscience and leadership, we can reverse that. And I, I truly believe it, it's time. Children love learning about their brain. It should be a part of the curriculum to understand the brain and the mind. It should be a part of educators' curriculum to understand the brain and the mind. Learning, attention, nutrition, what the brain is doing at different ages is important because what your brain is doing at four years old is different at 12 years old. 18 years old, 22 year old, 30, 40, and so on. So it's very important to understand the brain in its totality as we are in these different roles in our lives, being parents, educators, leaders, coaches. So we actually have a part of the brain, it's called the prefrontal cortex, and it's the most advanced part of the brain. It's actually the leader of the brain. So we are all leaders. I mean, I know there's people who actually have the title as leader in their organizations, But we all have a leadership brain. The prefrontal cortex is the most advanced part of the brain, and it controls and has the ability to manage the lower parts of the brain, the amygdala, emotional brain, the brainstem, which are both important parts of the brain, but they are the earlier parts of the brain that works to make sure our bodies are operating, right, to pick up on external stimuli to run our body systems. And thank goodness we don't have to think about all of that because that that would take up a lot of energy to do it consciously. So a lot of it is on our subconscious subconscious mind, unconscious um, activities. The problem becomes when we start to misinterpret modern experiences and we act on our instinctive brain, okay? So this is where the prefrontal cortex can come in and managing our, uh, our focus, managing our attention, managing our emotions so that those lower parts of the brain don't override our system. Don't strip us of uh, blood flow to our prefrontal cortex. Our prefrontal cortex is important for our higher executive functionings, our judgment, our willpower, okay? Our ability to plan for the future, our ability to inhibit our words (laughs) uh, so that we don't say the wrong thing that might offend. It, It helps us to manage our biases. Now, not all biases are a bad thing it's actually a a survival thing we need bias but there's the difference between negative bias and just biases naturally that we have i term biases preferences right that's a whole nother topic but uh, that's part of what the pre this prefrontal cortex does right behind your eyes okay we want to heighten how we use our brain because the brain is the seat of our creativity our innovation our intuition and our emotions and it is the future it is our future As we advance in this human experience and so a lot of people say that they're either left brain or right brain whenever you start to claim one hemisphere over another you are essentially cutting off half of your brain potential so one thing i want you to do (laughs) if you are doing this i want you to think about how you are commanding your brain so if you're saying i'm i'm a left brainer that's just how i am then i want you to start changing how you uh, use your words, because we want to be whole brain. This is, leadership is a whole brain experience. As a matter of fact, a compassionate leader, an empathetic leader, a leader that can connect with their workforce, their employees, actually relies heavily on the right brain, because this is the, the place where you are more present, where you can listen where you can connect the energy. You feel your bodily sensations coming up from this right side, so you can be more intuitive and pick up on that nonverbal communication. Uh, Dr. Royo, can you talk a little bit about that, the importance of that nonverbal uh, communication and leadership?
1: Yeah, it's uh, nonverbal communication. It's really important because we Actually think that we communicate 100 percent, but we actually don't. we actually communicate nonverbally almost 80 percent of nonverbal. Some say even 90, right? And um, I think it's really important to understand nonverbal communication as well as communication. You know, just as in relationships, when people say, "Oh, well, we don't communicate anymore," well that's not exactly true because you are still communicating, you're just communicating non-verbally. But we still have to learn how to read nonverbal cues, I think especially when it comes to uh, working in the workforce, uh, because sometimes people just can't articulate what they feel or articulate what they're thinking. And learning, I'm trying to get away from the term of saying teaching you body language, because it's actually, helping you to be more mindful of body language, because we all know body language, right? You know, body language is something that we learn the minute we're born, right? That was the way that we communicated to our parents was by reading body language. And that was the thing that we would learn from our parents. What is smile? What is uh, what is laughter? And we were learning those things. So we still, we have those techniques. It's just trying to help you to be more aware of body language. And it's uh, very imperative, it really is.
0: Yeah, especially you know, as leaders. If you think about someone coming into the office, for example, and maybe they're having a bad day, well, their their brains are already primed. So their emotional brain is already on a higher level than baseline. So now they're going to probably interpret people's body language as more negative than positive. Even though a person may be just looking neutral at them, because they're not smiling, that person who came in because they already started their their day off bad is going to interpret neutral faces as negative. Uh, so we want to be aware that the level of our brain at one moment could either cause us to interpret something more negatively or positively. So getting to into a state of mind, getting your workforce into a state of mind, making sure the culture is in a certain place, is important for the correct interpretations of situations and people. And when you have a culture that has a baseline of positivity, right, they're going to start their their day off like that, right? And so we know in neuroscience research, the more positive the brain, the more optimistic the brain, the more likely people are going to be productive and creative and innovative and work together. So it's very important to understand, as a leader, the dynamics of the left and right brain. They're both important, but they just, they just serve different functions. So here's another thought leader that you know. Albert Einstein says, the intuitive mind is a sacred gift, and the rational mind is a faithful servant. We have created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. Now, a lot of people think that Einstein was just a physicist. He was just a scientist. He just happened to have a brilliant mind, and he, you know, gave us E equals MC squared and all those wonderful things, right? But he was very right-brained as well. He's very intuitive. Some of his his experiments we still can't do today because they were thought experiments. So he believed in the power of intuition, which is primarily a right brain activity. So he was a thought leader that understood the nature of his brain and how powerful it could be to create some of the greatest concepts that we benefit from today. Our intuition is a superpower, right? Our ability to have foresight and be able to uh, see ahead or pick up on nuances because we're picking up millions of pieces of data a second, a minute. And so we cannot interpret all of that with the rational mind, it takes too much mental energy. So the intuitive mind uh, works kind of in the background and that's when we have, you know, those intuitive nudges and the moments of insight is happening in the background and that's the role of the right brain. Now Albert Einstein was definitely a left and a right brainer, but he really was a champion of intuition and the right brain. Okay, so you need to have experts. (laughs) You need to be able to understand neuroscience and immerse your mind in the knowledge of of neuroscience about your own brain and mind and how to apply it to your everyday life and profession. The next brain immersive experience or idea you need to have is on diversity and, and inclusion. We have neuroscience research that tells the story of how deep this rabbit hole goes when it comes to diversity and inclusion. So one of the greatest thought leaders um, in this area was, of course, Martin Luther King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He said, an individual has not started living until we can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. I pause for effect there because thought leadership is about transforming humanity. Thought leadership is about not just me, the individual, but how can I bring other people along to have a mind that can think about how are we going to solve the issues of our humanity? How can we raise the level of our human potential so that we can keep advancing? We're the only creatures on the planet that want to keep advancing ourselves, (laughs) right? But that leadership is so much more than just a leader. A leader just wants followers, essentially, or they just have end up having followers. They just tell people kind of what to do and motivate them, right? But a thought leader is, how can I create other thought leaders so we can all focus on this journey of creating a better world, serving humanity, making humanity better? So once we shift from I to we, we open up a whole nother way of thinking about others, Okay, so we and then we start to allow others to have a place within our minds, we have we allow others to speak about their ideas, we're open to other ideas that will help us to design things for humanity. So when we think about diversity and inclusion, I know our minds may go straight to gender, right? Male and female. We need more females in certain sectors, you know. I know for myself, it, when I was going through UCLA and neuroscience, there wasn't, um, it wasn't a lot of females, you know, in the area of neuroscience. So that's why there's STEM uh, programs to get more women and minorities into fields of uh, mathematics science because there's a need to increase diversity and inclusion. But it's not always about gender. It's not always about ethnicity. Uh, diversity and, and inclusion could be also a diversity of interests. You know, Maybe someone likes to shoot Bow and arrows on your spare time or play tennis. You never know what that knowledge will do, how it can be applied to a different way of seeing things in the workplace. People with different backgrounds. Maybe as a kid, one of your coworkers worked in a candy store and they knew the process of making candy. And, you know, that then created all these pro- mental processes, mental pathways of. Uh, creativity. You never know where that's going to come into play. So it's very important to have a diversity of thoughts, people, background, even special abilities. People will call special abilities disabilities. But if you think about designing bathrooms, for example, right? If someone didn't have Uh, Someone with special ability where they needed a wheelchair to access different places. If If that person is not on the team, they can't give their perspective on designing that bathroom, right? And it's very important in this day and age that we think about many possibilities and situations as we can so we can have the most effective conclusions, the most effective and efficient designs. But if we leave people out of the room, if we leave people out of the conference room or designing team, then we lose that perspective. And so, um, and the, there's a study in the Harvard Business Review that actually has data on the importance of having more, a more diverse team. And so, this particular study had two teams, uh, one. The percentage of women was higher on the team than the other. And basically what they found was the collective intelligence of the team with more women was above average than the team that did not have uh, many women. And uh, this is important because the IQs of everybody were essentially the same. It really didn't matter about the IQ, but when you consider the collective intelligence, a team with more women, had a higher collective intelligence on how they scored on um, intelligence tests, and this is this can be explained because of the brain. Essentially, the female uses their brains differently, and it, it's set up uh, differently than the male brain because the female brain accesses their right brain more readily than the left side of the brain. And the the thing about the right side of the brain is that the neurons, the brain cells in the right hemisphere differ from the brain cells in the left hemisphere. And this is important because the brain cells in the right hemisphere are longer, they're thicker, and they access the total brain. So those neurons are digging into the deeper recesses of the brain that can access all kinds of knowledge and information from the past, from the things we thought we forgot. So because the female brain is, acting globally, it's able to generate insights, more insights and different ways of thinking and ideas, more so than our than our male counterparts. So uh, that is partly why we attribute this overall collective intelligence in this particular study. So diversity is the art of thinking independently together. Malcolm Ford. So thinking is directly correlated with diversity and where does thinking take place in the brain so the more diversity we have uh, the better our thinking now we're going to talk about the social brain why does the brain need to be social um, why would that make us an advanced leader uh, we weren't designed to be solitary creatures we evolved to survive in tribes the need to interact is deeply ingrained in our genetic code we literally have brain regions that will wither away if we become isolated chronically okay or if we feel rejected so why is this important to leaders it's important to leaders because as we move up the ranks as we become the leaders in our industries, as we become entrepreneurs and uh, we start to lead the charge in our niches, entrepreneurs, you you are leaders, okay? You have followers, people looking up to you, people who are inspired by you. There's also that lonely side, right, where you are working alone. You, you don't really associate with people who are not on the entrepreneurial track. So what happens? You become isolated. When leaders rise in the ranks, they tend to no longer associate with those that they used to work on work with on the same level. So the isolation comes and there, there's this story in their head as well that, well, if I start fraternizing with the people that I used to work with, they won't see me as a leader. Okay. Which is not true. You know, they want you to still be relatable and that's very important to them that they feel like they can come to you, that you will, Listen to them. So being isolated actually has a reverse effect on your brain and on your relationships.
1: And the relationship that you have on the employees, because what you're actually doing is isolating them from you. Um, So that's a part of an isolation too, as well. So when you start isolating yourself, uh, because you feel that now that you're at a higher rank, what you're actually doing is disservice to your company, to your business. Uh, because you are now isolating your employees from you. And they can tend to also uh, begin to feel lonely or isolate themselves as well.
0: Absolutely. So that just goes back to um, what I mentioned earlier about we are all connected to each other, right? Like neurons to a big brain. And so we affect each other. And so when when we have that absence of social triggers, it triggers the same alarm bells as being hungry and thirsty and, phys- and actually physical pain in the brain. So essentially, when we feel isolated, when we feel rejected, not only is it triggering the survival brain, but it's also being interpreted in the brain as physical pain. We, we've been able to see that. Dr. Lieberman at UCLA, they've been able to physically see that social isolation and rejection is interpreted in the brain as physical pain and physical pain can lead to depression. Okay. So you can start to see how it unfolds, but as leaders, as advanced coaches, you can see, you can be able to recognize, you know, if your client, um, if one of your employees is not doesn't seem to be connecting or seeing eating alone, or um, you can just notice because you're more intuitive (laughs) as a leader. You can just start noticing these things and then create opportunities or bring awareness to their mind to associate with others more because you understand the consequences of, What the brain is doing, leading to the interpretation of physical pain, and it may go down the road of depression. Now, when we're talking about neuroscience in the brain, we are no way trying to get you to diagnose people with depression or any other uh, mental disorder. That is not what we do. That is not what we use neuroscience for. We are teaching neuroscience so people can recognize and have clues to what can lead to that. If they don't do certain things, it can lead to, well, you know, depression or, you know, lack of sleep can lead to all these other variables. So we want you to be empowered with the knowledge ahead of time so that you can ward off those things before they happen because you have the knowledge ahead of time. So we're more in the preventative world and not just, we're not just trying to prevent, you know, the decline of the brain or emotions. We're, we want people to thrive in their brain. So we understand that socializing Has a lot of benefits for the brain. It allows the brain to thrive, you know, endorphins to show up. We'll get more into collaboration a little later. But when we don't socialize, we also, as leaders, become less empathetic. And when we become less empathetic to others, what does that do to our decision making? What does that do to our biases? I guess you can go down the rabbit hole of what that looks like when someone is less empathetic to others and we tend to be more on alert and there's research to show that feeling isolated having that physical pain in the brain can disrupt our sleep as well
1: yeah and that's why this knowledge is so important to understand um just as you said earlier it's to to bring to your awareness to prevent because <clears throat> understanding certain uh brain regions and trying to prevent from becoming depressed so having that knowledge is something that's so imperative for all fields, right? For therapists and psychologists and, and you know, and on. And so I think that that's so important to understand what our goal is.
0: Absolutely. Dr. Rowe, can you describe one of your your research studies on why we need to socialize?
1: Yeah, and it goes back to right what you were just saying, too, actually. Uh, my research and my dissertation was excessive... Solitary confinement will cause brain damage if mental illness isn't treated for loneliness. And that's how I stumbled on loneliness, was in during this research of solitary confinement and isolation. There were some stories I'd just like to share right fast that when a prisoner was being released to take a shower or to even exercise, this prisoner would actually kick a guard knowing that there are four or five guards there with sticks, weapons, tasers. Um, But he would still kick one of them in the shin just so he could be touched. So he would actually do this knowing he's going to get beaten, right? Because the guards are going to beat him up for him attacking a guard. But he's actually doing this just to be touched. When we're talking about censor... Um, Sensory deprivation. And that's one of the deprivations that is so important about loneliness. When we mentioned about the uh, employer-employee, part of that sensory deprivation is just communication, you know, communicating with your employee. Not communicating is part of the sensory deprivation because you could be isolated. You know, there's a couple of uh, loneliness that i i like to mention like new situation loneliness uh when you actually move into a new city and you feel a sense of loneliness because you have to go to a new job or you have to start um, at a new school and and these things are not familiar to you so you can actually feel that loneliness right or just feeling different you know i'm different than loneliness This this is you know you're in a place that's not familiar, but you feel different from other people. You could feel isolated just from feeling different. And that's another one, you know, or no sweetheart loneliness. I'm just talking about girlfriend, boyfriend loneliness too. Even if you have a lot of families or friends, you still can feel loneliness because you don't have the intimate attachment of a romantic partner. So that can also cause you feel lonely too as well. So when we're just talking about individuals at your workplace can cause loneliness just by isolating your employee and uh, what we mentioned before when you get to that level of I'm a supervisor I'm a manager and you know you don't communicate that's part of social isolation and that's part of the communication that you're cutting off from that other human being and that's what can cause that other person to be uh, also become loneliness so we're talking about chronic loneliness that increases the odds of early death by 20% and it's also said too that it's just no it's no different than being um, uh, obesity right um,
0: the effects uh, so. of some of the effects of obesity overlap with the sensory depri- deprivation that comes from being isolated even the perception of being isolated can be interpreted at, to the brain as emotional pain and then Physical pain. So that's why bullying is so detrimental for the victim because they're going through emotional pain, but it's being interpreted in the brain as physical pain. That's why it's so important for educators, for students to understand the dynamics of bullying and the brain, teaching them about their brain, teaching principles about the brain. Um, hopefully, counselors understand the dynamics of bullying in the brain because it's more than just being called names. You know, we were taught sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yes, they do. They hurt the brain. The brain is interpreting it as physical pain. And so that some children, some teenagers, you know, they turn that physical pain into real pain. So you can see the rabbit hole. It can go down. And when we talk about, I know Dr. Royale was talking about physical touch, but of course, you know, in the workplace, you can't go around touching people. Being social can include, you know, conversation. Looking someone in the eye, the brain is being stimulated when you are having a conversation. You know, oxytocin is being released when you are looking someone in the eye, building trust between the person that you are talking to or the person who is listening. You feel is listening to you, you can feel their presence. So, there's a lot of dynamics with being social, be, with communicating with others that's it. changing the brain in real time. Every time we do anything, the brain is shifting. It's an organic piece of technology that keeps growing and shifting with every experience we have and every experience we do not have. So we want to be intentional about our experiences as leaders and be aware of how how we can shape other people's experiences as well as leaders. Can you, uh, Dr. L, real quick, just go through this other example of the, our need for human connection in the brain? Yeah,
1: you know, loneliness is really an epidemic and we're not really talking about it as much here in America, but um, it's really happening a lot all over, even England. It's a real big epidemic in uh, England as well as in China in Japan. And there's a, a major studies where in Asia, senior citizens are going to the stores to steal just so they can get caught, just so they can be with their friends in prison, in jail.
0: They want that camaraderie. They want that interaction because that's how we survived as humans was together. Foraging for food, finding our probability of success for survival together exceeds alone so that's why we involve these social brains and social dynamic and of course oprah is a very well-known thought leader in the industry she says leadership is about empathy it is about having the ability to relate to and connect with people for the purpose of inspiring and empowering their lives so in order to develop empathy you have to socialize you have to have conversations. You have to develop your empathy brain, your compassionate brain, what is known as your mirror neurons. Okay, so our mirror neurons allows us to experience what other people are experiencing. So when someone is smiling, our brain cells that are responsible for recognizing a smile lights up. Right. So we get to experience what they're experiencing and that's how we can develop our our empathy and compassion. And so Oprah is a, a thought leader because she disrupted the industry of talk shows. Right. It was unheard of for talk show hosts to go into the audience. And cry with the audience member to sit there and listen hand over the microphone and listen truly listen to hug the the audience member and she transformed the industry she took it to the next level and it wasn't really received as much she got criticized for it but look where she is now right so leadership according to oprah is about empathy thought leadership is about transforming humanity. Thought leadership is about inspiring and empowering others, okay, because you want to create other thought leaders to be able to think on, at this level. The fourth brain immersive experience as leaders that we must have to be advanced in the 21st century is collaboration. Why do we collaborate? So we can basically... Combine our brain power. Earlier, I said we each have a 100 billion brain cells and each one is able to connect to up to 10,000 other brain cells. So we have trillions and trillions and trillions of connections. And we all have a right brain and left brain. If I'm connecting my 100 billion brain cells with Dr. Rael, that makes for a powerful collaboration, right? Insights, perspectives, backgrounds. And it's a, essentially a whole brain experience when we collaborate. Someone said competition makes us faster, Col- collaboration makes us better. And it also reduces our negative bias, right? Because people can share perspectives, their perspective, their um, experiences that may shift the way we see situations or how we are developing ideas. When we collaborate, we are essentially stimulating multiple parts of our brain for problem solving. The region important for problem sci- solving or activated from problem solving is different from the region that allows us to reflect or be creative or make a decision or speak to someone, right? So we are in effect stimulating more parts of our brain as we collaborate than if we were to be in isolation and work alone. Well,
1: synergy is actually bringing several frequencies, bringing on several brains, bringing ideologies and views together equals synergy. And I think that that's so important to have synergy amongst employees and employers to bring these different brains. Everything that you were just saying helps to have synergy.
0: Because when you are activating all these different parts of your brain, your brain frequencies can be measured, right? So you have all these brains acting on these frequencies, and you are essentially having bursts of insight, right? And your brain is coming up with solutions together. Everybody's bringing a piece of their experience, knowledge, and skill set. The final brain immersive strategy that you can implement in your advanced leadership toolbox is to attend events, attend networking. And I know that is something that we all do, but Remember, we're here to bring the science behind it, the neuroscience behind it, so that you can get more out of your events and you can also encourage and, uh, you know, guide others to do the same. I always say going to conferences and networking events is a whole brainer experience, okay? Why is that? Because essentially, what are you doing? You're incorporating all of these things we already talked about, right? You are essentially Stimulating your brain, hopefully the conference is diverse. You are socializing, so you're activating your social brain. You are passing out your business cards because you might collaborate with someone in the future. Or maybe you're coming up with insights and ideas on the spot or at lunchtime. Um, when you take a break from the conference. So that's why I say conferences, networking events, they are whole brain experiences, whole brain activation experiences. And there's research, according to the Harvard Business Review, that when you attend conferences, your likelihood of pr- being promoted and triples your likelihood of getting a 10% or higher raise. This is especially true for women who attend conferences, but they have to be diverse, okay, because if you have a, a couple of women in a conference full of males, and other parts of their brain will be depressed and suppressed <laughs> and that will affect their cognitive abilities, their confidence levels, which may reduce their ability to socialize and collaborate and it'll have the opposite effects of brain stimulation. So that's one caveat that when conferences are diverse, we get more out of it, not only our brain from our brain stimulation, but also we have more ideas to share and more people to learn from. We also know that there is an increased level of optimism when people go back to work, when they attend conferences and networking events. And optimism is correlated with increased happiness. And a happy brain (laughs) means a happy life. It means more creativity and innovation and more endorphins and more neuroprotectors for your brain and for your immune system. So did you know conferences can do all that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now you do, right, spread the word please. Also 70% of women feel more connected to others after they attended an inclusive conference and women are natural collaborators. Our brains are designed to collaborate. We have more regions in our emotional brain to be more emotional, to be more connected, to share with others, because that's how we survive. We watched each other's children. We cooked together. We told stories, we shared stories together, right? That's a lot of the white brain, emotional brain stories, right? Um, So we are, designed to be more collaborative than competitive, and our brains have got kind of mascul- masculinized or skewed towards being more competitive uh, because there are a lot of professions where it's more male-dominated, so you kind of tend to act as the more dominant energy, right? So it kind of went against the, uh, the nature of the female brain, and it's okay that our brains are made up differently we both have superpowers right our brains just operate differently not necessarily better but if women are not stimulating those natural parts of their brain they can't operate in their authentic selves and they can't thrive as much as they could if they don't know how to lean into those female parts and if they are not ostracized for being nurturing emotional i worked in a lot of films health government Big Pharma, one of the things I got dinged on was being, you're too passionate, Shante. <laughs> you're being too nurturing, Shante. And that was just my natural way of being, right? To connect with people, to make sure people were at a certain level mentally so that they can thrive in their their work. I wanted people to be productive, not stressed out and, you know... <laughs> crying in the bathroom or anything so um, it was just my nature to make sure that you know when I spoke to people I listened I was empathetic compassionate I knew that state of mind would fuel people's productivity and overall even loyalty I will say to the company or organization so why attend events you know Ben will tell you expose yourself to as much as possible attend conferences no one else is attending read books no one else is reading talk to people no one else is talking to because that puts you in the top 1% of your industries. That stimulates your mind in a way that others will not be stimulated. So these are the five brain immersive experiences. You now, you already knew these things before, but now you know it at a deeper level, you know it from the lens of the brain and mind. And we can go another 12 layers deeper, but this is what you need to know to become that advanced thought leader. You're already leaders. We want to take you to the next level because we need you operating at a higher level of your thinking and being, especially in today's climate. There's so much more we can do with this human potential. But if we're stuck on basic stuff, if we're stuck on survival mode, if we're we're stuck on the same issues that plague our societies, then it's going to be hard for us to move um, as humans to the next level of our evolution. And we are here to say from the OptiMind Institute that when you live with your brain and mind, you can better your, not only your mind, but you can better your impact in this world and be more influential. And we want to invite you to go down the rabbit hole of neuroscience with us a little bit more. We are enrolling for the OptiMind Coaching and Neural Training Institute eight week certification program it's fully online and uh, what you learn is you learn more about neuroscience and some of these things that we talked about is in the program but we get more specific in different realms so neuroscience the first week would be all about um, understanding what you need to know as a leader about your brain really what anybody with the brain needs to know, but I know everybody's not ready to learn about the brain at this level. The next week, we learn about how to use neuroscience to manage your emotions. Our emotions are our superpowers, but if we don't understand how to manage them, if we don't understand anything about the emotional brain, it's hard to use our emotions to empower our creativity and our thoughts and our relationships um, if we don't have that knowledge. Uh, The next week, we learn about the neuroscience to manage our personal life, our relationships, what does exercise do for the brain? What does sleep do for the brain? So all these different activities that shape the brain uh, that will allow us to harness its potential. And we also talk about brain development in children, what the brain is doing at each level, and that's more for educators, right? Or and parents um, who want to know those different stages about the brain. If I knew what I know now about the brain when I was raising my first child. I would erase them a little bit differently. <laughs> because the teenage brain is an entity all to itself, if some of you know who have teenagers. The next week we learn about how to use neuroscience to manage your professional life. So we're talking more about the leadership brain, more about teams, uh, more about how to make sure you're not isolated. we dig more into the isolation of the brain and what the brain is doing. Uh, We're talking about productivity. We're talking about getting into your peak mental performance and flow state and the neurochemicals involved and how to take normal human activities to upgrade your peak mental performance. So um, we get more into that. Uh, The next week, we talk about how to use neuroscience to manage your business and finances and your entrepreneurial journey. So some of you are in professions in business and finances. Some of you are actually entrepreneurs. Maybe you have clients who are entrepreneurs. Uh, You want to make sure you understand how the brain manages risks, how the brain sees goals, what goals are doing to the brain, how the brain sees money. So we talk about all of that, how to manage the entrepreneurial brain. You know, the entrepreneurial brain is goes through an emotional roller coaster. And we also talk about the neuroscience of success as well. In the next module, we talk about the neuroscience of creativity. We have to create a whole module, (laughs) training module, just on creativity in the brain because the, the neuroscience research on creativity is so vast. Okay, but we actually take that research and we make it applicable into real strategies you can use that very day that you learn it. Okay, and you can apply it to your teams, you can apply it to your Client sessions to help them to expand their creativity and imagination, all neuroscience-based. Dr. Ryle Sims will be training on the neuroscience of love and relationships both your personal relationships and your workforce relationships.
1: You know, we'll just talk about why we do what we do from an eco-bio-psycho-social and spiritual point of view when it comes to the relationships. You know, what happens, what's going on in the brain when you're communicating, what's happening when you're touching, when you're lacking of, of touch. Uh, what's happening when you're being intimate? What's going on in the brain when you're kissing? Um, just, just all kind of things about when it comes to uh, relationships and love. What happens when you fall in love? What's going on in the brain during the period of that in love stage? What happens to the brain when you're actually breaking up? When you're trying to detox from that person in a relationship?
0: Very powerful module. And the the last training um, of the certification program is the neuroscience of spirituality, which is one of my favorites, because it's a culmination um, of everything uh, that we learned throughout the previous seven weeks, and it really takes everything to that higher level, that higher mind, so we're you're, you're going from that, that physical brain to the higher mind. And um, there's so much neuroscience behind what prayer is doing for the brain, meditation, uh, believing in a higher power, what charity and volunteering does for the brain. We have the actual evidence that our brain changes when we have these spiritual practices. So when you join Optimize the Optimize program, you are essentially in a brain immersive experience. It's a whole brain experience that we talked about that's needed to become an advanced uh, leader and coach and parent, right? So you are learning that you're learning things that most of society won't learn right now, right? So that's why we call to the leaders for now because we know the leaders are going to use this information about neuroscience to influence their realms. And when you join our program, you essentially you find what you need at your fingertips in one place. Okay. So you don't have to Google, you don't have to, you know, read random articles that pop up on your Facebook feed or on LinkedIn. You, you don't have to use your brain power to put it all together because we essentially have put it all together for you. So we increase your coaching and leadership tools and we put it all in one place so you have more time to learn. Okay, and you have more access to tools to help your clients, to help your workforce. You are participating in your own brain evolution, your own self-directed neuroplasticity, because now you are learning your brain intentionally from experts all in one place. And so when you direct your own neuroplasticity or brain evolution, you become better and you your client's experiences become better. So we have a lot of clients from different backgrounds. So we have from coaches to leaders to CEOs to even actresses. <laughs> this program has literally changed people's lives and their professions. They've been able to increase their clientele because now they have that extra layer, that extra advanced tool in their, their methodologies, um, this field of neuroscience, and their client's want that next level right they want that advanced training and so people have been able to increase their clientele their speaking opportunities because now you can speak on the neuroscience of your of your topics right and your overall confidence in your profession goes up because now you are talking at a level that most people can't understand but you as a coach you as a leader you'll be able to simplify this knowledge as we have done and help people to understand so that they can reach their potential as well. If you feel like you can't stuff anything more in your mind, I'm here to tell you that learning never exhausts the mind and your your brain is limitless, okay? So remember you have trillions and trillions of potential in your brain so you can get this knowledge inside and we will, we pride ourselves on helping our students to succeed and become certified. We're leaders. We're entrepreneurs. We're educators. You know, I was a professor for a while, so we understand the different realms of being a leader, being an employee. We understand it, but now we see it from the lens of the brain and mind, and we can help others to do the same. With the OptiMind certification program, you also get two complimentary tickets to our annual OptiMind Neuroscience Professional Growth Conference, and so this is a three-day event filled with brain based professional leadership and strategies remember attending events is a brain immersive it's a whole brain experience where you get even more training in addition to the training you get for the certification program. And this is where you get to actually meet us and meet your peers. It's a very fun and exciting experience. So we we have a lot of fun at our Optimine Live conference. And of course you get all those brain benefits from attending a live event, okay? So we're talking about optimizing focus and memory, relationships at work. And we're doing movements and brain body movements. So we're not just sitting around. It, it's a, a whole brain, whole body experience. At our conferences, we dance, we sing. (laughs) Thank you so much. Remember, when you better your mind and better your brain, you will better your impact and your thought leadership. You are the minds of the future. We need you in whatever capacity. uh, Take this training and do something with it and go to the next level of your thinking and being. We appreciate you so much. Take care, everyone. Did you like this episode? Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast and share with a friend. And if you consider yourself a modern thinker and if you want free mindset success tools and more tips and strategies on how to use neuroscience in your everyday life and how to stay motivated and inspired to live your best self, come visit me at ChanteTaylor.com, enter your name and email address and sign up for my newsletter. Remember, when you better your mind, you better your brain You better your impact.